Uh, tonight we're going to be in uh, Psalms 42 and probably Psalms 43. Uh, Psalms 42 begins a new book in Psalms. Um, in book one of Psalms is uh, all the way through uh, Psalms 41. Um, and they are specifically attributed to David. Uh, 37, I guess, out of the uh, 41 Psalms. Uh, says it's from David. There's uh, a few there that it doesn't, but it's presumed that it is. So we just say he's the the only known author of the first book of Psalms, uh, the first uh, 42 or 41 chapters. Now that we get into book two, uh, it goes from Psalms 42 to Psalms 72. Uh, we're introduced to some new authors. Uh, and, and they appear, they're uh, like Asaph and Solomon, uh, they have one each. And then you have uh, seven, perhaps uh, maybe eight psalms uh, that belong to the sons of Korah, and three uh, that have uh, uh, no author listed. But uh, then you have uh, David, 18 out of these 31 are attributed to David. So over half of these uh, are attributed to David. Um, and then when you get into the Psalms here, especially in this book, uh, the second, second part of it, uh, as I said, you're, we're introduced to uh, some uh, different authors. This one in the Hebrew text is attributed to uh, a contemplation of the sons of Korah. Uh, there are some who believe that it, it is David that wrote this psalm. Uh, I, I don't believe that's true. Uh, they think that it's during uh, his time of exile from uh, Absalom uh, that he actually wrote this. Uh, it doesn't really give a timeline when Psalms 42 is that you can actually track down here, I don't think. It could have been during that time. It could have been during a time when uh, they were exiled into uh, or in the Babylonian captivity. Uh, uh, any... any uh, I think the message still applies. I don't, I don't believe it's David doing it, but it is when someone's away from where they could feel like, I guess out of Jerusalem there, where they feel like they could worship away from the temple and they're feeling kind of the pains of that, uh, of some things that are going on. Uh, now the sons of Korah were, were Levites from the family of, of Kohath, but uh, by the time of, of David, it seems that these individuals may have been a big part in the aspect of temple worship. Uh, they may have been a big part of that. If you go to 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 19, it says, Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and of the children of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Now Korah, of course, uh, what do we remember about him? What did he and some followers do? Yeah, they, they did. You, you can see in number 16 where they led a revolt and some 250 uh, were swallowed up there uh, because of that where God judged them. If you look at Numbers 26 beginning at verse 9, it says the sons of Eliab were uh, Nemuel and Dathan and Abiram. These are the Dathans, uh, Dathans and the Abirams, representatives of the congregation who contended against Moses and Aaron in the company of Korah, when they contended against the Lord. 
And the earth opened up its mouth, swallowed them up together with Korah. When uh, that company died, when the, fire, uh, when the fire devoured 250 men, and they became a sign, nevertheless, the children of Korah did not die. So we have here this rebellion of, of Korah and all these uh, community leaders, as it were, against Moses. And we have the judgment of God, but it says the children of Korah didn't die. Maybe uh, here, maybe we see that they were so grateful for this mercy that they became notable in Israel for their praising God. I don't know, but here you have a contemplation of this, and you have different places within this Psalms where uh, they are praising God. They're going through some issues. They're going through some uh, uh, situations to where he feels like he's not... Uh, maybe in the right relationship with God, but still trying to maintain that attitude of, of trusting in God that we see of David. Now, you can read some things from Spurgeon. And Spurgeon actually says this, this whole section here smells of the son of Jesse uh, in talking about David. Uh, and there are some things in which is said and how it's said does remind you of that, of of being in despair, of crying out to God, but still trusting in God and praising God. So there are some things there uh, that I can see where can be uh, contributed to David, uh, but I'm going to go with the original Hebrew text of where it's the sons of Korah. Irregardless, it's like other things. The point is still the same of it, uh, of their attitude toward God, their attitude of the things that they're going through uh, when they're faced that. Now, we're probably going to go through Psalms 43 with this. There's just five verses of it. Uh, it's, it's believed by most scholars, the smarter than me, that they were supposed to be gather, uh, together to begin with. One reason, because the, the oldest manuscripts have them together. Another reason is there's not a, a title for Psalms 43 like all the other ones, simply because there didn't need to be because it was titled with Psalms 42. Um, so you see some aspects of this, why it is together, and you can see there's, there's a refrain where uh, you can see it from Psalms 42, what is it, verse 5. You can see Psalms 42, verse 11, Psalms 53, verse 5. It's kind of spaced out almost evenly of, of this psalm going together and this refrain of repeating the same thing over again. Um, so I believe it does go with Psalm 42. So if we can get through it tonight, we are going to discuss uh, Psalms 43 also. Uh, now when you, you look at Psalms 43 or 42, uh, we're going to go with uh, maybe the first five verses first. I think I may have put that on there like that. It says, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they continually say to me, Where is your God? Now let's just stop here a minute. We're going to go on through the next couple of verses. But there's a couple of things here. Um, As a deer pants for the water's brook, so pants my soul for you, O God. That sounds like a song we sing, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, and, and there's a reason for that. You know, we, we, we sing that song and it does come from the Psalms here. Uh, as the deer panteth for the water. 
Here it says, and, and the Bible uses different things like this. It uses the ant, uses the sloth. You know, look at the ant, look at the sloth, look at these different things. And here it talks about the deer that, that pants for the water's brooks. He says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, just like the deer pants for, for its water, whether it's uh, running from a, uh, a predator, whether he's uh, uh, whatever, that he just, just needs that water, thirsts for that water. Now, when you think about that, that, that's what we should be. He said his soul thirsts for God, for the living God. That's how we should be. That's how this psalmist here is toward God. It's not just about going through the motions. It's not, you know, God, I don't think, ever wants us just to do. I think he wants us to want to do it. And I think there's different evidences throughout the Bible about him wanting us to do that. Whosoever will come after me. You know, have you ever heard anybody say that God wants everybody to come and serve him? And be saying, does the Bible say that? It's whosoever will. I, I, I've got to want to. Now, does God want everybody? Yeah. But he wants everybody to want to. So it's not just about going through the motions. We have to thirst after it. You know, we have to thirst after righteousness. Now think about that. Have you ever been thirsty? Now which is worse, being thirsty or being hungry? Thirsty. Uh, which could you live the least amount on? Do you have to have water first or food first? Water. You've you, you got to have it to survive. And he says, I thirst for God. So he, he's talking about needing God to survive. That's how much he wants God. It almost reminds me of... Uh, is it Job 23, about verses 8 through 12 there, where Job talks about, you know, I look on the right hand and I can't see God. I look on the left. He's not there. I go forward. I go backwards. I can't perceive him. But then he goes on and say, but he knows my every move, and I will trust in his word like my necessary food. He says, I, I need his word like I need food to survive. And I'm, no matter what I'm going through, no matter what I'm facing, I'm, I'm, I'm going to still trust in God because I need him that much. I believe that's what this psalmist is saying. You know, I thirst, he says, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before him? He, he's longing to. When's the last time you longed to come and worship God? Was it tonight? Was it Sunday? Is it all the time? Have you ever made the statement... I got to go to church today. I have to go to church. Well, we don't have to, do we? Yeah. We need to. We should want to. We don't have to. Now, there's consequences if we don't. There's consequences if we don't serve God. So, in that instance, we have to. But God doesn't want us to just. To, I heard somebody say in this about God doesn't want us to just show up. He wants us to actually want to do it. He wants us to want to be here. He wants us to want to serve Him. This psalmist said, I, you know, when shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. He says, my food is coming from my tears. So what I'm focusing on, all I'm surviving on now is my, my despair because I don't feel like I'm in the presence of God to, to worship Him. When, when can I do that? And notice what he says. And when all of this is going on, while they continually say to me, where is your God? Now, I don't believe here it's saying, okay, 
that, that they're surrounded by individuals who don't believe in God, I think they're saying, okay, if you believe in your God, where's he at now? You're in this trouble, whether it's in captivity, whether it's, you know, uh, for some reason they're in exile to where they can't be where they need to be or want to be in order to, to worship God in this place. And now they're saying, where's your God now? Look at all this that you're going through. Look at all this that's happening to you. Where's God at? Anybody ever said that to you? You go through a trial, you go through trouble, the world is looking. Well, well where's your God? If, 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 if you serve a living God, He ought to be helping you with this. If you serve a living God, He ought to be right here with you. Where's He at? You know, it's almost like, remember on Mount Carmel when Elijah was mocking uh, uh, the prophets of Baal? It's almost in reverse here, really. Of course, Elijah knew there wasn't anything to the prophets of Baal. It wasn't anything to their God. And he said, maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's, you know, just really mocking them. Now the enemies of this psalmist here are saying, where's your God? Here you are crying. Here you are. Your food is your tears day and night. Where's your God at? And then in the middle of this despair, you know what he's saying? My soul thirsts for God, the living God. I like how he says that. Not just for God, for the living God. He doesn't serve a dead God. It's a living God. So it, it, it's about, as that deer is needing that water, and, you know, we, we get to a point, I don't know if I've ever been, you know, I, I've been thirsty before, but I don't know if I've ever been just, I'm going to die if I don't have something to drink. Now, I've probably said that a time or two. I'm, I'm going to die if I don't get something to drink. probably say that more about eating, I guess. But I don't know if I've ever been hungry. I don't know if I've ever been hungry enough to truly be hungry. I eat because something to do a lot of times. You know, you, you just eat. It's more of a social event than it is anything else. And I think we don't, I think we, maybe in our society, maybe we have at times, but we've never been in a situation physically where we've maybe truly had to long for that drink of water or truly long for that that substance, that's something to keep us alive. And the psalmist says here, even in his deepest despair, he feels like that. He, he's thirsting for God and he's saying, I, I just don't feel like I'm where I need to be. When can I come? When can I appear before God? It's like he's wanting to, he's longing to. And I think that's a good example of, of what we should be. Even when the world around us is saying, where's your God? Yes, sir. I mean, think if we think if we all come with that that attitude of 
I, I want to serve a living God, I want to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ, then we're going to walk through these doors with the attitude, I'm here to build them up. I want to be with them because I know they're going to build me up. Instead of, oh, I have to go and, oh, I have to do this or have to do this. You know, I, how do we get that kind of attitude? I think it goes back to a lot of things, and we can get into a lot of things about our country and everything, but it goes with everything else. If, 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 if you're in excess, you, you know, we're self-gratification, we're all this, we're not really wanting for anything. And I think that translates over into the spiritual part of, am I in a position to where I feel like, okay, I, I, I need this. Is something happening in my life where I, I see that I need this? And it doesn't have to be a tragedy. What happened in our life was we were in sin and Christ came and died for us. That, that's, we were in darkness. We were, as Jesus said in John chapter 3, we were condemned already. And he came to, to bring that. But we've got a thirst after that. We've got to want that. So just as David, in, in, when he gets down, mm-hmm. David says, I thirst after God. Yeah. Yeah, you can go from Acts chapter 5 and you can see the persecution is what caused the people to scatter. And they're, and we're seeing it today. We're not persecuted like that, but we're seeing today how this will let you down, this will let you down, this, will let, this world's going to let you down, so I've got a thirst, I've got to long for the right thing. I can't put my trust in things here. As Peter says, these things are going to be gone. You know, they're going to be burned up. Then what are we going to have? But that's what the psalmist is talking about. He, and, and he's being mocked for doing it. But let's go a little bit farther. Verse 4. He says, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept uh, a pilgrim feast. So you've got an individual here, the psalmist here, the son of Korah. You've got an individual, he, he's remembering these times. He's remembering these feast days. He's remembering these times of worship. He's remembering being, being around uh, uh, others in like faith. He, he, he's remembering these. This is what's lifting him up in his time of despair. Now, if we don't long for that, if we don't thirst for that, then the memory of this when we can't do it is not going to affect us. It's not going to bring us up when we're in despair. I, I've talked with people before. You know, I, I used to think about uh, you get up as a preacher sometimes and you do lessons on attendance, you do lessons on serving, you do lessons on, you know, you should want to do these things. Then you go visit with ind- individuals that's bedridden or, or stuck in their homes and physically can't be there, and you see them actually cry because they can't be there, but yet you go down the road, you're having to beg somebody to come, and you go on down the road back over here, and someone's crying because they can't. What's the difference in that? The heart. That's exactly what it is. It's that, that longing for it. You know, I knew a lady when I, the first congregation I preached at, 
She had to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. Her, her daughter-in-law had to get up at 6 o'clock in the morning. She lived right in behind them. And it took her that long to be able to get her up and get her ready and get her to church by 9.15. And she did that every service. She had to do it, you know, get, start that early to be able to get her ready. And that's somebody who wanting to be there, isn't it? That's somebody who's longing for that. And I think that's what, and, and that's what helps us in this despair. He says, when I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise with a multitude that kept a, a uh, pilgrim feast. Now notice here, verse 5, here's the refrain. Why are you cast down? Here's where he has a talk with himself. Okay, he's going through this despair. He's saying, I'm longing for God. I'm remembering all these things. I'm kind of having a pity party, but what's helping me is remembering this. And what's really going to help him is he has a conversation with himself. Now, a lot of people say, you can't be talking to yourself. But here he's giving his soul some encouraging words. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. So you've got in these sections all the way through 43, you've got, here's despair. I'm longing for God. I'm in despair. I'm remembering uh, uh, what I have. I'm remembering those good times with, with my brethren. I'm remembering these things. So why am I so cast down? What's he say? Hope in God. At what place and where can you be in your life that you still can't have hope in God? There's not anywhere you can be, is there? there there's not anywhere that you can go. You know, that's, that's one thing I like about prayer. That's one thing I like about hope. When you, you know, as a person that deals with anxiety uh, on any given time sometimes, and you feel like you just can't put things into words, you can't, you, you can't express these feelings that you have, you could always talk to God. Even if you can't put it in words, God knows exactly what you're going through, and hope should never leave you. That hope in God shouldn't. So no matter what you're faced with in this world, no matter what brings you down, we need to have this same conversation with ourselves. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. He's giving himself a, a, a little boost here, a little pep talk. And I think it, it, it does a lot of good for him. Uh, and I think there's a need for that. Uh, In efforts to help others deal with uh, emotions and, and, and deal with things that you go through, you know, this, this is a good, uh, I actually circled this uh, uh, last few days when I was studying this, uh, that I thought, that's a conversation I need to have with myself a lot. You know, I, I need to quote this verse to myself every day, maybe two or three times a day. You know, when you get to having a little pity party about yourself for whatever's going on in your life, why are you cast down? You don't have hope in God? You don't trust in God? Are you not thirsting for God? You know, we could have these talks with ourselves to help build ourselves up to help us to maybe overcome what it is that we're facing. Then look in, uh, starting in verse 6. He says, Oh my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Harriman, from the hill uh, Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. 
The Lord will command His loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night His song shall be with me, a prayer to God of my life. Now notice, okay, he, had, he's, he, he's, he says, I'm thirsting for God, I'm remembering these good times, I, I, I'm in despair, but I, I remember these, and I'm giving myself a pep talk, but I'm still realizing my soul is cast down within me. My, my, my soul is still down. I've, I've, I've got to still bring it back up. He's, he, he's having this, and I tell you, I, I think that's a Christian's biggest struggle still today. You know, we can think about all these outward sins that, 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 that people have, and, and, and we focus on those things. But I think just like Job, just like this psalmist, just a, a lot of times Christians suffer emotionally within themselves. Well, it may be doubt. It may be fear. It may be things that we face in this world that we don't know what's going to be coming. And we start focusing on the, the, the carnal things, the tangible things, and we don't walk by faith anymore. We walk by sight. And I think this tells us and helps us not to walk by sight, but walk by faith. But he says here, and it, I, I, like how, I like the honesty. I like the honesty through the first, uh, uh, first part of Psalms that we studied about David. He, he really tells, this is where I'm at. And he don't care a bit to tell God, God, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm facing. This is what I'm up against. And you know that, and I think that's what this psalmist does too. He says, but... He says, even with his soul being cast down, he said, I'll remember you from the land of the Jordan, from the heights of Hermon. I think here is showing that whatever time period this is, it, it is a moment of exile uh, for this psalmist here. And he's remembering the time when he was able to be back and, and, and in, this, uh, uh, in this place where he's able to worship like he was, I think. And I think he's remembering that. I think he's thinking about that. Not that he can't... Uh, uh, serve God where he's at, but you remember these things. He, he, he sounds like he's being took, uh, took from this. And uh, I, I was reading some things on verse 7 here. It says, Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. Uh, his song shall be with me, a prayer to God of my life. It, it is very resemblance of, of Jonah of what Jonah said about being in, in, in the uh, belly of the great fish. He's, he's saying, this is what I'm experiencing. This is what, what it, I mean, it's surrounded around me. The waves are coming over me. So this is very resemblance of that, um, of, of just being, and maybe wherever this psalmist is, he, maybe he's seeing a waterfall. Maybe he's seeing how that waterfall is coming down and how it's crashing down uh, on the water there and how it, it, uh, all that is just, overwhelming and it's overcome, maybe he's saying, okay, that, that's, that's how I'm feeling now. I, I'm feeling like this is just coming over me. I'm feeling like it, it, it's just there, but here's, here's what I'm able to do with that. I, I'm able to still trust in God with, with even the things that I'm feeling and the things that I'm facing. He says, because he says here, it's, it's not the trials that's overwhelming him. It's, he says, all your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. He said, I'm still filled with this. Uh, th this is how great his loving kindness is. This is how great the faith is. Yeah.
Well, and what God's done every time, we see it. We see it with Gideon. We see it with uh, with David, even facing Goliath. We see it with Elijah on on, on the mountain there, uh, with the prophets of Baal. We we see it time and time again, uh, bringing them out of Egypt, bringing them to the Red Sea, to where God takes individuals or allows ind- individuals at different times to get to a point to where there's nowhere else to look but up. That way we do have total dependence on him and realize that God's the one that sustains us. God's the one that gets us through it. And in doing that, it, it allows us not to trust in these other things. Notice here in verse 9, I think it's a good example. He said, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? So he says, why have you forgotten me? But he still calls God his rock. You know, it, it, it's not what he thinks God has done. He, he knows God's still in the same place. He says, you forgot me because he feels like he has, is not here. Now notice, he says, why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with the breaking of my bones, my enemies reproach me while they say to me all day long, where's your God? He says, Here's, God's my rock. And, and why have you forgotten me? They're looking at me now and saying, okay, where's your God now? He's still going through this. He still faced this. But notice verse 11 again. He's got to have a little self-talk. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted with me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Okay, I'm, I'm down again. My enemies are just all around me. They're saying, where's your God? It's like breaking my bones. And I say, why are you cast down? Can an enemy take my hope in God away from me? Yeah, only if you allow it. They don't have that much power. And I think that's what God is always trying to tell us. They don't have, Satan doesn't have that power. Look at all he did to Job, and he had to ask God's permission for that. And there's still only so much he could do, and it wasn't anything Job couldn't overcome. And here's the same uh, talk that he has to have with himself. Um, yeah. Yep. Now look how he says, now this is again one of my favorite parts of, especially in the Old Testament when uh, uh, they're having a conversation with God. Starting here at verse 1. Vindicate me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and the unjust man. For you are the God of my strength. Why do you cast me off? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your tabernacle. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceedingly joy. And on the harp I will praise you, O God, my God. He's saying here, okay, I've got enemies all around me. You know what he's wanting? Vindication. Not just for himself, but for God. Because the same thing with David, if, if they're vindicated, if they're showing, even in that despair, they're serving God then God shows that, that's vindication, not for them, but for God, that God has not left them. 
that they can't deny that God is still part of their life. And I think that's where the enemies try to defeat us is keep telling us over and over, where's your God? Where's your God? Where's your God? Just like Satan in the garden. No, God just don't want you to be as smart as him. You're not going to die. God lied to you. You're not going to die. See, it's always trying to separate man from God. But he says here, don't let that happen. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. There you have it. It's, it I mean, can you just imagine just singing this over and over again? Oh yeah, I'm going through this despair. My, my tears are like my food day and night. My enemies are saying, where is your God? You know, where, where is this at? Why have you forgotten me? You're still my rock, but why have you forgotten me? Why am I cast down? Is my hope not in God? Is my hope not in the one that's, that's there? I, I, I trust in his countenance. You know, over and over, I think we just need to tell ourselves that. It's not about, as Christians, I think we're, we, we get discouraged is we think we're never going to be in despair if we're truly serving God. Well, if we're serving God, it may put us in despair with the world. It's the world that brings that despair. It's the world that's testing him because think about it. Before I became a child of God, I'm going the same direction Satan is. Why is he going to bother me? He's already got me. But once I decide to serve God and obedient to him and I thirst after that, I want to do that, He's going to fight just as hard as he can. He's going to try to bring all the despair that he can. And we have to tell ourselves over and over, why are we cast down? Why are we disquieted? Hope in God. Now hope is that thing that's, you know, that's what faith is. Substance things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. That hope is that anchor. And that anchor, if it's doing its job, can you see it? It's down doing its job where it's supposed to be. It's keeping us where we're supposed to be. When the waves are coming, everything's going, that anchor is down there doing its work. We may not see it. The world may not see that we've got that anchor down there. And we may act like we don't have it. But it's there. And we've got to make sure that we use that hope as God would have us to. Any final thoughts about this? This is a very, I, I like to start at this. Do you have something? And we, and we have all this time during the week where despair comes. Why wouldn't we want to come together where we can get rid of that for a little while? Yes, sir.
I, I think you're right. I think it's a time to shine. I think it's time to let the light shine when, you know, when darkness seems to be closing in, that's when the light's the most important, isn't it? So, uh, appreciate you listening. Appreciate the class.